It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the, the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Rook. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are It is time to head on home for a Tuesday. It is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump, along with Adam Lundy. We've got you connected on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line at 46862. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, your suggestions. 46862. Busy hour on the way. James Boyd from The Athletic is scheduled to join us at about 520. And at 535, we talk all things NIL with the local attorney, James O'Connor from Barrett McNagney Law. That all comes up before 6 o'clock. And then I'll jump on the chopper. Got to get across town. Four minutes, 24 seconds en route <laughs> to the Holiday Inn, Purdue, Fort Wayne, where we have the Mastodon's Coaches Show today. I guess you don't have to take traffic into account when predicting no. your ETA since no. you just fly right over no it. Rule, no rule, no problem at all. Just fly right over the traffic. Yeah, we're <laughs> like back to the future that, it, you know, wannabe type of thing where, you know, the <laughs> flying cars. But, uh, yeah, we'll be there. We've got Maria Marcasano opening the show this week. We're going to start the show right off the top, women's basketball. Got a nice win over IUPUI over the weekend. Kind of a tough week uh, shooting the basketball. Back-to-back uh, games where they shot under 40%. It cost them against a really good team in Cleveland State. They ended up falling to the Vikings by 10. But that Vikings squad went on and beat Green Bay, who was the team in first place. Uh, Cleveland State beat them by like 20-some points. Just absolutely destroyed them on uh, on Saturday. So, you know, not a bad loss to lose by 10 to a team that's that good. And you look at it and you think, all we had to do was hit a few shots. We could have taken this game. The Dons will have their shot at Green Bay coming up in a couple of weeks. They're going to be in town. So anyway, uh, we'll talk women's basketball. Then we'll talk men's basketball. Assistant coach Adam Blaylock is going to be along. We've got men's basketball coach John Kaufman. And always fun when we get to talk golf with Kinger, Billy King, golf coach, who's got a nice new ride for that golf program. I was just going to ask, are you going to ask him about uh, the Mastodon I'm golf gonna team? I'm going to ask him to take me for a ride. Yeah. yeah they we were, to, that's where we ought to do the show is from the back of that fancy new van they've got. It's not fancier than this studio, I'll tell you oh, that. Oh, man, it's painted nice. <laughs> it's got a nice wrap on it. Uh, but it is uh, it is a fancy vehicle for those long road trips for men's golf. Of course, men's golf doesn't have... In their budget, the first-class airline tickets. <laughs> of course, we don't have first-class either, but uh, but they they have to go on long golf trips. Yeah, and so it's very nice that they were able to get the support financially to be able to get that vehicle. We'll talk to Billy King about that, but we'll also talk about the rise of the program because every year this program keeps taking strides forward. And sometimes people don't realize a a, pro, a, a golf program and what it's doing. You know, you. you Obviously, you see what women's basketball is doing under Maria Marcasano, but golf has been doing the same thing under Billy King. And so 
We'll talk to him. Should be a good show. Got uh, 6 to 7 o'clock, and then we'll turn it over to Mark Boyle and company for Pacers basketball as Pacers take on the Houston Rockets tonight. Are we joining it for tip, or are we joining it for pregame tonight? I will check the time of the tip game, and I will let you know in just a second. All it says on our programming schedules that we join the game at 7 p.m. Of course, we join the game for pregame. It's Pat Boylan. Tip is at 7, so we will be joining right at the start of the game. Okay, that means uh, NBA time. That'll be about 7. NBA time. I should tell my (laughs) wife she's, she's on NBA time. Yeah. Because my wife, it's like if we're gonna be you're supposed to be somewhere at seven, she didn't even get ready to leave until seven fifteen. <laughs> That's uh, even worse than I can, NBA I can, time. I, I can say that she's in Florida. She's not listening. <laughs> Actually, she's under the weather today, so oh. she's probably sleeping, so I can get away with it today. There you go. Four six eight six two is Parkview Sports Medicine Text Line. Four six eight six two. Tonight, Indiana takes on Ohio State, two teams that have been struggling. Uh, Indiana just uh, one and four over their last five, including that loss Saturday to Penn State. Ohio State, meanwhile, is one and seven in their last eight. And ironically, the lone win for Ohio State came head to head against Penn State. Uh, Ohio State's on a four game losing streak. It's a vulnerable team, but you've got to play them on their floor where Ohio State has been considerably better than they've been on the road. Uh, Only Michigan who's 1-9 and nine in their last 10. Can you believe Michigan is 1-9 and nine yeah. over their last 10 games is worse right now in the Big Ten as far as the stretch since the calendar rolled to January. Uh, only Michigan has a worse record of 1-9 and nine over their last 10. But uh, Jamison Battle, obviously one of the keys. I said in the first hour that his 45% three-point shooting is a concern because Indiana has been prone to give up some good looks from three yeah they let penn state shoot over 50 percent yeah so you can't let jamison battle hit six seven or eight threes and he's a guy that can do it he can get hot and he's one of those heat check guys he'll shoot from long way and and he can make it and that's why i think if you put wear on him and you add that extra length it just makes it a little more difficult for battle to get the space he needs to get that three-pointer off i don't know how indiana's going to line up and defend Battle is kind of one of those tweener type of guys. Mm-hmm. He, he plays kind of the three position, but he's a six eight guy that can also uh, go inside. So I think it would make sense to have Khalil Ware on him. Indiana did win the first meeting, which happened exactly one month ago, January 6th, at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. Indiana was a six-point winner, 71-65, to and they'll try to make it a season sweep against Ohio State coming up tonight. That game is going to be broadcast Don Fisher on the call on WoWo 92.3 FM exclusively on the FM for WoWo at 92.3 FM. All right, it's that time. Let's do it, Adam. Let's play a little Tuesday time capsule trivia. And you know what we're going to do, Adam? I'm going to throw you off. We're going to take caller number two today. All right. I don't want anybody to sneak in that's already played and they know the number. The number is 260-447-8500. That's 260-447-8500 just to call in and play. You're going to be the winner of a large pizza to Pizza Hut. But but if you want to get that pizza, you want to try to knock me down. I did get beat last week, I think, didn't I? I did. I'm on a I'm on a losing streak right now. I'm the Ohio State of Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia. But uh, you got a chance to play me right now 447-8500. Again, James Boyd, James O'Connor. It's the all-James hour here on the Sports Rush. They're coming up 
here next. All right, let's get to the phone lines. Let's get this Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia Edition going. Who's this? Uh, this is BJ. BJ, how are you on a Tuesday? Doing well. Just got off work. All right. Get yourself a brew. You a college basketball fan? Yeah, absolutely. Who's your team? Michigan State. Ah, Spartans. Have been, Spartans are working their way toward a typical Tom Izzo march. They'll be. I think they could be there. They could be a threat when you get to March. Uh, what do you think so far with Michigan State this season? Have we got room for improvement for sure? <laughs> yeah. Always. You know, it's always <laughs> tough to gauge because Michigan State tends to start a little slow. They, they get hot late, but they always have such a tough non-conference schedule compared to other teams in the Big Ten. So sometimes it's really hard to compare them. We're a turning team, Brent. We're a turning team. That's there right. you go. Save it. Save it for March. Save it for March. All yeah. right. You ready to go, Adam? You know uh-huh. how to play, BJ? Yes, sir. All right. Let's go. It's time for Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia on the Sports Rush. All right. Clue number one. We're going with cricket. This year at the Ashes, Australia wins the six-test series three to two. All right, you got a choice here, BJ. Go first and uh, and go ahead and take a shot at it or pass it to me. Uh, I, uh, I'll let you go first, sir. Uh, hey, look, everything's Taylor Swift this week, so I'll say 1989. <clears throat> okay, it's not Taylor Swift week. I'll go uh, 86. <clears throat> All right, clue number two, we're going to field hockey. The winner of this year's Women's Champions Trophy was also Australia. The Australia women winning this year's Women's Champions Field Hockey Trophy. What okay. do you got, BJ? Okay, take him a while to get that out, but BJ, you do go first. Uh, let's go 1992. Um, I will go 1991. All right, clue number three, Brett first here. On October 18th of this year, Liz Heaston becomes the first woman to play and score in a college football game. Um, I will. It's mine. It's mine, right? It is. I will go 1995. Let's go uh, Bob Barker rules 96. All right. Clue number four. This there will, will be, be nothing left in the 90s decade <laughs> by the time we're done. Interleague play begins in baseball this year, ending a 126-year tradition of separating the major leagues until the World Series. BJ, it's your choice. Or your your call, your guess. 1990. He's determined to make it. <laughs> I will say uh, 1993. I'm oh, determined man. too. You guys are determined. Uh, All right, it'll be up on those nineties. We only got like two years left. It'll be Brett on the last question before 1994. <laughs> Stop. <All right>. Okay. <laughs> Top song from this year. Before we get to clue number five, it was the number two song from this year. It was "You Were Meant for Me" by Jewel. Oh. Okay. okay. And and clue number five. Mike Tyson bites off a piece of the ear of Evander Holyfield in the third round of their WA heavyweight title fight. Oh, I got it. Got in it. this year. 1997. No, sir. Oh. <laughs> it was 97 there, BJ. <laughs> and he had it. He did have yeah, it. Yeah. 
You know, but that, you know what? That's, that's the clue. Yeah. Did did he pass the very first? See, that's, I tell you, that's the mistake. Never pass to me first because then I get the first shot after the musical clue. BJ, you've learned a lesson today. I hope it has humbled you. <laughs> and, and down the road, you get another chance. Duly noted. It won't happen again. <laughs> All right. Hey, stay on the line. We'll get you a pizza from Pizza Hut just for calling into play. That is BJ. And I have broken my losing streak. I'm back, baby. What's the record, Adam? Check the board. Uh, 68 and 15. Oh, I feel much better about it today. All right. We got to get to a break because Jay's Boyd standing by. You're listening to the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan 100.9 FM. You're listening to The Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Listen live at 1380thefan.com. Welcome back to The Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump and Adam Lundy, our studio producer this afternoon. Still coming up after the show, we've got the Mastodon's Coaches Show, 6 to 7 o'clock. That's broadcasting live from the Holiday Inn, Purdue Fort Wayne, right across the Memorial Coliseum. And then at 7 o'clock, Pacers basketball tonight. They take on the Houston Rockets, 11.05 p.m. It is a tape-delayed rebroadcast of the Matt Painter Show. Catch that here tonight. Busy night on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Want to talk right now to uh, to James Boyd from The Athletic. And, of course, James covers the Colts, but then when there's no Colts news, he sneaks over, turns on an NBA TV every once in a while. James, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty good. Excited <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah, it's always uh, it's always good to chat. We've got Super Bowl coming up. We've got news about the Colts. I thought this would be a good time to catch up with our buddy James down there. Uh, let's talk first about the new coach that's joining the Colts coaching staff. Charlie Partridge comes in as a new defensive line coach. Don't know him. Like his resume. What do you think about this hire? I think it's a good one. Obviously, on paper, I was a bit shocked that Nate Ali was not brought back after the Colts had 51 sacks last season, the most they've had since moving to Indianapolis. But Charlie Partridge has a good resume, as you said. You know, they were top five in sacks at Pittsburgh, the University of Pittsburgh, when he was there in 2019 and 2022. Led the nation in sacks for two of those years. And so if you are going to make a change, you go and get someone who is widely considered to be, you know, probably top five, top three defensive line coach in the country. James, uh, let's get back to uh, what's going on around the NFL right now and the so-called Pro Bowl. Uh, is it time to <laughs> just scrap this thing altogether? I don't think so. And the reason I say no is because I think of the people who maybe cannot afford to go to games or they might have the opportunity to go to games and so if you get a chance to take your young kid to see you know Travis Kelsey who isn't playing in the Pro Bowl but if you see CJ Stroud or you know Jamar Chase and others maybe that's one of the few opportunities you get a chance to see the NFL stars be in some sort of football setting so for that reason alone I'll say keep it you know as long as nobody gets hurt I guess it's you know not too bad do I watch it myself no but for those in person I think it could be some cool memories for a you know a young fan. Can't you just get together and have fan fest? I mean, come on, it's. Uh, I mean, it really to me, it's like it's so watered down. It's not really. I mean, I, that's my problem with the NBA All Star Game is that no one wants to get hurt. You got the same thing in the NHL. 
Uh, I mean, these all-star games have become such a loose exhibition of the sport that they're not really a showcase anymore. Isn't there some other way, though, to do that? I mean, to just, you know, to have some type of fan fest or get together. Isn't there something that can be done? Probably, but I'll leave it to the people in the NFL to decide. Because I feel like whatever changes they make, there are never enough, right? Because just, you're just not going back to the days of Sean Taylor lighting a guy up you know, on the sideline in the Pro Bowl. So, again, I think of it like, hey, if you like it, I love it. If you don't like it, just don't watch it. That's kind of how I look at it. So, um, obviously, there's a bigger game on the schedule, and at least they fixed that after a few years ago, you know, where they used to have. Super Bowls in the Pro Bowl, at least they have the Super Bowl after the Pro Bowl. So we still have something to look forward to that is real football. Yeah, and uh, let's talk about this matchup between San Francisco, Kansas City. Of course, the Chiefs, you could throw the regular season uh, out the window at this point. They are now being the playoff Chiefs that we've come to expect. I don't know, maybe they're just bored with the regular season at this point. They're so used to... You know, playing in Super Bowls. What's you know, what's a game against the Bears in September really mean to these guys anymore? But uh, it's been a different team, and, and in some ways, how do you rank this team as far as Kansas City teams? The defense, I think, has been the best defense the Chiefs have had in any of their Super Bowl runs. Offense, maybe not, but where do you stack them up against other Chiefs teams in the past? I don't think they're as good as, say, the Tyreek Hill Chiefs, just because I don't think you've become a better team, per se, without arguably the best wide receiver in football and at one point was an MVP candidate this past season. So I wouldn't put them at the top. However, I would say if they win this Super Bowl, this would be probably the most impressive of the bunch just because of the way the regular season went, how flawed they looked, all the drops from wide receivers, and it's just weird to see them kind of struggle like they did throughout the regular season, obviously going to road for the first time and have true road playoff games. But then you think, okay, well, you saw Patrick Mahomes, and he takes care of all, I guess. He's kind of like, you know, just the thing that fixes all of this. And so um, I'm excited to see the game. I do think that the 49ers are the better overall team. However, you know, the two teams are pretty evenly matched, I, they, I think, and so, in my opinion, I'll give the edge to the team that has the best player, which is Patrick Mahomes, who's been there, who's proven it, who already has a Hall of Fame career. I think that if you look at skill position players, I give a slight edge overall to the entire group, the San Francisco. But I'm with you. The best quarterback is Mahomes. And I think everything else is pretty hard to pick a definitive favorite if you match up like for instance, defensive lines, uh, you know, San Francisco's got a great one, but Kansas City's not too bad either. You look at uh, what the Kansas City linebackers have done this year. I think it's <clears throat> probably the best collective year they've gotten out of their linebacking core, uh, perhaps in any of these runs. Uh, their secondary's been better. I, I just look at the entire roster, and I think everything is pretty close to even. I got to go with the quarterback. Do I take Mr. Irrevel Irrelevant? Or do I take Patrick Mahomes? I'm no dummy, James. I I'm taking Mahomes. <laughs> you know what? I've, I've thought of this sort of like when Philly won a few years ago and they beat Tom Brady, where you have a guy like Nick Foles who had his day in the sun, right? He knocked off the goat, so to speak. And I do think that Brock Purdy, obviously second career, I mean second season of his career, has a lot you know, further to go, maybe a higher ceiling as of now than Nick Foles. But 
it would be funny to look back years from now and kind of look at the parallels between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady's career and say, oh, that one Super Bowl loss that you had, or one of them, was to a guy who maybe was never going to be on your level, but he just had a damn son, which could be Brock Purdy, um, who has, you know, deserves a lot of credit for getting them there. I do think that he's in a different tier than the Patrick Mahomeses of the world and the Josh Allens and others. However, if you win the Super Bowl, you're validated, especially with that franchise and that history over there of Steve Young and Joe Montana. So um, it should be a really good game and some really good storylines going into it. But I just, I mean, I picked against Patrick Mahomes uh, throughout the playoffs, and I'm like, you know what, maybe I should just stop being dumb <laughs> and pick the best player. <laughs> well, hey, let's. I want to ask about the conference championships between Baltimore and Detroit. Was there a choke job that was bigger than the other? I think that Baltimore just like choke, never showed up. Lions blew the lead. So I guess what do you look yeah, at? Yeah, I, I I probably lean more towards Baltimore just because of the sequence that involves Zay Flowers. They had the huge, you know, long pass play to Zay Flowers to get him down there, I believe, to like the ten yard line. He stands up, spins the ball over Legarius Sneed, um, gets a taunting penalty, they move it back, they throw the ball back to him again. He fumbles you know, at the one-yard line, and it gets, you know, recovered mm-hmm. by the Chiefs in the end zone. And guess who forced the fumble? Legereus Sneed, the guy you were just taunting. <laughs> who got the last left? Legereus Sneed. So, to me, that would have cut it to a three-point game, would have made it 17-14. And after that, you know, that was it. To me, even though they had more chances later on in that game, it just felt like the momentum had shifted and their one opportunity to kind of get back into it had been squandered. So, to me, that was a bigger choke job. And that sequence in that moment, and then Zay Flowers goes and hits his hand on the bench and cuts his hand over, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, this is all bad. Um, whereas Detroit, they kind of live by the sword and die by the sword all season, being too aggressive probably. I would have kicked, you know, one of the field goals or attempted to kick one of the field goals. But what irritated me, Brett, the most about the Detroit narrative was not necessarily the play itself or the decision to go for it. It was, oh, they went for it because their kicker isn't any good. Well, how come no one figured this out before you got to the NFC Championship? <laughs> like, that can't be a, a, a thing. You know what I mean? So I was very frustrated with that because I'm like, you had all season to try out kickers and you chose not to. What are you doing? Yeah, I don't I, I don't like the whole go for it uh, regardless of the situation type attitude. I, I think Dan Campbell is somewhat pigeonholed himself a little bit with that attitude that we're going to be the ones that go against the grain. We're going to be the ones that, you know, prove our manlyhood on fourth and four when the game's on the line. I Personally, I kind of feel like you got, you got Detroit in a situation where now if they don't go for it, you almost think they're cowards, even if it's the best decision, because that's not them. That's not what they do. And I, I said on this show, I thought Detroit blew it by their over-aggressiveness, and I said, you know, it's it's a winner-take-all game. It has no margin for error. You've got margin for error during the regular season if you want to gamble on a fourth and three. But when you're in a game with this kind of stakes, sometimes you just got to play it safe and suck it up. What, what did you think about Dan Campbell's coaching in that game? I thought that he was true to himself, and he owned it all, obviously, after the game. But for as aggressive as he's been throughout the season, this season in particular, which everyone usually was on the side of, I just felt like at some point you had to stop the bleeding. And so on that last fourth and four, I believe it was, 
to me, perhaps you think about kicking a field goal. Or even when they went for it and they were up, I'm like, okay, they just scored. How about you just kick that field goal, go right back up 17, just do something. Three scores. Regain, yes. Go back up three scores, and then, you, you know, you see what happens from there. But if you have a chance to go up three scores, you know, in the second half of the NFC Championship, I think you do it. And it just felt like after that, he was kind of the, the second, you know, fourth down call where he, again, did not kick his field goal. It just felt like there was more weight on that because you didn't do it the first time. So at some point, I just felt like, I get it, you're aggressive, you go for it, you believe in your guys. But, again, it goes back to, do you believe in your kicker at all? That's all? Like, Come on, man. So I was frustrated with the way that ended, and I think Detroit fans uh, you sort of maybe have gotten over it by now to realize what great a season they had, but to end it that way, it just felt so cruel. And, and truly, I guess, uh, just, just speaks to the level of, um, you know, how the NFL can be sometimes. And they were rolling, they were flying high, and I was thinking, oh, they're going to Super Bowl, and then it changed just like that. So... Um, the game is truly 60 minutes. I'll tell you that. How many games do we need to see Pascal Siakam with Tyrese Halliburton before we can be a fair judge of how this trade's worked out? Man, I would say I just want to see a game where Halliburton's not on a minutes restriction. How about that? Can we get five of those? <laughs> then I'll give you an assessment. But the tricky part is that you would have loved to have made the trade for Pascal Siakam a few weeks ago, have Tyrese Halliburton be healthy, and then know you know, with the trade deadline looming that, okay, this is what we got. This is what we need to improve on. This is our areas of weakness, whatever. We still don't even know that concretely because Tyrese has been in and out of the lineup and they still have had to kind of, even when he's played, they've had to kind of fit him around other players or fit his minutes around what can be best for the team. So hopefully we see an uptick in minutes. Um, I don't think we're going to get a concrete answer of what the trade, you know, uh, did for the team. Until Tyrese is healthy, but I would say, realistically, if he can just get back to, you know, not having a minutes restriction after the All-Star break, maybe five games. Five games is a decent sample size to understand, okay, this is who we are and what we can, you know, look forward to with this tandem. Hey, James, I got to ask you about this uh, Andrew Wiggins rumor that uh, the Colts might or the Pacers might be interested in Andrew Wiggins. Are you hearing any of that in Indy? And if so, how his how would he fit? Where would he fit with the Pacers? Yeah, you know what? I haven't had a chance to get really, really plugged into that. I know my coworker, which sounds weird to say, but Sean Serrania was reporting on that and that the Pacers are interested. I'll say this. You know, I think that he's a valuable player. He does have a really big contract. Um, but I'm not exactly sure that the Pacers have enough to go get him. And I wonder what that would mean for Golden State, like what would what would that move do for them as they're trying to extend that window with you know Stephen Curry and the other players over there? So um, in a vacuum, I'm like, yeah, go get Andrew Wiggins. You know, he's not too old of a player. He's only 28 this season. He's a long, lanky guy. You need guys like that in the NBA, but with that contract size and with whatever you know the coach would have to give up additionally, I'm just thinking to myself like, how realistic would it be? We only have a couple more days to go to find out, but um, we'll see. Always appreciate you, James. Always great stuff. You take care of yourself down there, and we'll talk soon again. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Yep, that is James Boyd from The Athletic joining us here on the Sports Rush. James O'Connor, a local NIL attorney, joins us to talk all things legal matters going on right now in the NCAA surrounding NIL 
and uh, labor deals. Yeah, it's all happening, and we'll talk to James O'Connor about it. Coming up next, this is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump, along with Adam Lundy. And, uh, you know, the whole NIL stories and uh, all about the the labor board and all of these rulings that are coming down, everything seems to be heading toward court. And when it comes to legal matters, I wanted to get a lawyer involved. And right here locally, we've got an attorney at Barrett McNagney Law who's kind of uh, – taken an interest in the NIL happenings and is uh, specializing in a lot of the NIL law and legal situations. And so he joins us right now on our Sports Rush guest line. It is James O'Connor. James, good afternoon. Brett, how are you? Thanks for having me. How do you exactly define your title, your role, your legal expertise in these matters? I, I don't want to sell it short. I call it advanced problem solving. Uh, <laughs> Well, there's certain, certainly plenty of problems that are being created over it. It is. And, and you know, while I have a background in litigation, uh, in the employment law context, compliance is a big part of it. And so if you can, what is it, the uh, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? If you get it right on the front end, you can avoid a lot of time, effort, energy, money spent fixing the problem in litigation. Well, and that's what I want to get to. And let's start with the Tennessee situation where they're being investigated by the NCAA. NCAA is finding infractions all pertaining to NIL dealings. Tennessee is saying, hey, you're, you're, you're the one that, that said it goes under state law. State law says this is fine. You now are coming in and resetting rules that you think are, are appropriate for the NCAA. But at the beginning, you didn't want that. You wanted to pass the buck because you didn't feel like you could police this whole NIL thing. It just seems to me like uh, it's a little out of control here. What what exactly is, is the story behind what's happening in the investigation the NCA has right now with Tennessee involving NIL? Well, I'm going to take a quick step back and just do a, a brief primer on what I call the uh, the power of law. You know, so what has what, what the trump card? We're a euchre playing uh, state, and, and so if you have trump cards, what does that look like? Um, the NCAA does not have the power that either the federal government or the state government have. They can, they can you know, make regulations and, and basically say by uh, everyone agreeing to play by our rules, uh, we have enforcement mechanisms just by agreement. If you want to be in our club, you play by our rules. Okay, fine. Uh, but on the power structure of laws, state laws trump regulations, NCAA regulations specifically, and federal law trumps state law. So when for literally decades the NCAA had this, you know, uh, stranglehold mm-hmm. uh, with enforcement on being able to say, um, you know, ghost employment, uh, paying players under the table, recruiting violations, all make you ineligible pursuant to our regulations. Six states in 2001 really pushed the envelope to say, we're going to create state laws that trump NCAA regulation. And right about the same time that the United States Supreme Court decided Alston, the deadline for repealing NCAA restrictions on NIL was coming to a head, too. So there was like this 10-day window in 2021 where, where the NCAA was really dealing with a lot of policy shifts. Fast forward to what we have now with Tennessee. Tennessee has a state law that specifically permits coaches 
employees of state universities to negotiate NIL deals on behalf of athletes. They're one of a handful of states that authorize it. NCAA regulations, one of the few prohibitions they have in the NIL space is you still can't have universities monetizing deals, being the agent, if you will, for the student-athlete. It's too much, um, looks too much like a recruiting violation, too much uh, mm -hmm. a violation of the principles of, of pay-to-play or pay-for-play. Uh, so theoretically, I think we can all understand that concept in general, but Tennessee aggressively postures itself to say, our law says we can do it, and we know that state law trumps NCAA regulation. So Tennessee, who is coming out of last summer where I did a quick bit of research and saw they had 18 level one infractions and $8 million in fines from last summer recruiting violations, tomorrow represents the regular Division One, Division Two regular period for football signing. And so in addition to last month when they joined six, seven other states uh, trying to get an injunction against the uh, transfer portal. They now file their own lawsuit well, with uh, Virginia, basically saying, and um, NCAA, your restrictions for NIL recruiting are, uh, are a Sherman Act violation. It amounts to antitrust uh, violations. And so the NCAA just has to defend itself against lawsuit after lawsuit. But Tennessee particularly is motivated uh, because they've been slapped by the NCAA hard, real hard. Um, and, you know, it wouldn't shock me if a lot of these uh, attorney generals were alumni of Tennessee. Wow. Uh, okay, so where, I guess, what ultimately in your legal expertise, uh, who's right here? Does the NCAA have the the right and uh, the ability to enforce this, or is Tennessee right in following state state law so you know i wish it worked as easy as this um light on light off binary mm -hmm. choice coming from the perspective of the student athlete it is true that um in the nil space student athletes would otherwise be prohibited from engaging in commerce that their non-athletic uh colleagues other students could participate in and that seems unfair right Mm -hmm. And I can appreciate the NCAA's want to have a level playing field because that's the nature of sport. We, we want a competitive balance, right? I don't fault states like Tennessee, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida for being aggressive in their NIL legislation to give themselves uh, some kind of perceived strategic benefit, recruiting advantage to bring good talent there. Mm -hmm. that, that's in the nature of, of sports, too. We want to be the best, right? So the NCAA really does have a hard job trying to thread the needle to, to satisfy all these different components. At the end of the day, anything that squelches the uh, athlete's ability to at least enjoy the same rights that their other non-athletic uh, friends um, students enjoy seems fair. Well, along that line, let's talk about athletic students versus non-athletic students or non-athletic participating students because that's a little bit of the case of Dartmouth. In fact, Dartmouth, it even involves non-basketball playing uh, student-athletes. But this whole situation at, uh, at Dartmouth where the National Labor Relations Board decides that, uh, you know, they are indeed uh, employees 
of the university. Here's here's what I thought. My first reaction to this is I thought this is like an influencer on Instagram. It's like they use the Instagram platform to gain fame and distribute material, which ultimately makes them money. And they're not an employee of Instagram, but yet they're using that platform and that stage to publicly increase their own personal wealth. And I'm like, maybe that's just way offline here. But I really don't figure this out, James, how they would be classified as an employee. Do you understand the ruling here? Yeah, and, and I think if I could rephrase your hypothet as, or an example is more of an example of why NIL should be appropriate. When it comes to the National Labor Relations Board, which is a federal agency or a federally appointed board um, on the federal agency that enforces the National Labor Relations Act, that act governs specifically private employers and how they do business. So Dartmouth is a little bit unusual. It's a step away from NIL legislation because it, it revives the 2014-2015 the Northwestern University uh, campaign by those football players to try to become union. Mm-hmm. And, and the general thought is employees, when they want a seat at the table to negotiate terms and conditions of working environment, they need to have some collective voice to be able to represent their own interests. Well, the fundamental foundation is that has to be an employee of a private of a private employer. Northwestern was its own unique set of facts. Dartmouth is in the Ivy League. There are no public institutions in the Ivy League. They are all private institutions. And then when you get into the employee analysis, you're getting into who controls the terms of quote-unquote employment. For a student-athlete's perspective, if you were going to say they were employees, who sets the practice schedule, how long practice goes, whether or not they have to miss um, uh, meals, other extracurricular activities, class time, right? And the more control, generally speaking, the more control an employer asserts over an employee's time and the manner in which they do their job, it looks more and more like that's an employment paradigm, and the union, theoretically, allows uh, the employees a seat at the table to dictate what, how we do our jobs. It also dictates compensation, which is another good thing, and to your point, in the Ivy League, it's not like uh, any of the public universities in the Big Ten, right? These are not necessarily money drivers. You can't tell me that the Ivy League is bringing in, on average, the same revenue, basketball, football, whatever, as any Big Ten school, mm-hmm. right? To that end, Ivy League schools can look at their all of their sports programs, even their most popular sports programs, and say, these are not money-making ventures. If we were really in an employment paradigm, we would be broke in no time. No one would hold a business out where we have to take our um, operations money, our student tuition dollars, maybe subsidies from the state if we're lucky enough to get them, and fund or, or uh, subsidize sports. So one of the arguments against employment in the Ivy League situation, the Dartmouth situation, is this can't be a business operation. You all cost us too much money. We would be broke if we were a business. We're not a business, therefore we're not employers, therefore you're not employees. Now, that's not what has happened. We have um, the, the manner in which uh, Region 1 is where this is, and the United States is cut up into lots of different regions. Uh, there's actually a, uh, uh, a Region 31 NLRB petition um, in California 
uh, asking for the same thing for for students um, a, a student association to, to declare an employee um, because when it comes to attacking the, uh, the idea of student athletes as employees it, it has to do with misclassification and that's a, a legal term of art designed to say you're not paying me wages which is really what this is about how much does this decision affect the other Ivy League schools? Because I saw they're trying to unionize and, and uh, trying to, I, I guess, include other Ivy League schools in the union. Well, it's, it's interesting because if the Ivy League, because they are private um, and because the Ivy League is its own conference, if the Ivy League wound up having a bunch of unions, each union, uh, let's just call it basketball, each basketball team represented by a bargaining unit, uh, the whatever local union represents that school's team, it doesn't really fall real far from where United States Supreme Court uh, Justice Gorsuch uh, suggested um, in, in the Alston decision that one way to create an environment where the NCAA is not violating any trust law, is to basically give conferences the power to regulate themselves. And if each conference came up with its own slate of benefits available to their student-athletes, then they're not being regulated by NCAA. And, and you have at least Power Four conferences that could probably compete financially with each other. But Ivy League, being a, a mid-major, could create its own slate of benefits. And in that reality... It's not crazy that a conference would have uh, eight teams with eight unions that represent them. Uh, mm. So, you know, now it, it makes it a little more challenging anytime you've got a conference that would have both public and private, because that's really where you muddy the waters mm. with uh, with employment paradigms. But for Ivy League specifically, it's not out of the question. Fascinating discussion, James. And, of course, there's so many questions when it comes to the NIL and the legal matters that are associated with it. Uh, of course, uh, I do want to uh, give you an opportunity to mention uh, where you're at and the best way to contact you should any of the the athletes, parent of athletes, uh, have any questions regarding NIL and the uh, the the vast wilderness that is ahead of them, especially if they've got an athlete that's maybe just entering high school or beginning that recruiting process, what's the best way to get a hold of you? I appreciate it. Email and, and my website is probably the best way to do it. www.barrettlaw, two R's, two T's, B-A-R-R-E-T-T-L-A-W.com. Under our people, find O'Connor. I'm the only one up there. And I list um, some of the podcasts that I've put out specifically talking about NIL and my educational program, the ABCs of NIL, where I break down some of the complex topics of, you know, how to do name image likeness the right way. James, appreciate you. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate you. Take yep, care. that is James O'Connor joining us here on the Sports Rush. Got to take a break. We're going to come back, wrap it up next. It is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back. Final time to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Brett Rump with Adam Lundy. We're just about set for the Mastodon's Coaches Show, coming to you live from the Holiday Inn, Purdue-Fort Wayne. That's right across from the street for the Memorial Coliseum. Join us with coaches Maria Marcasano from women's basketball. We've got men's basketball coach John Kaufman, men's basketball assistant coach Adam Blaylock, and... We get to talk golf. Men's golf coach Billy King all lined up to talk to us tonight from 6 to 7 o'clock. 
That's the Mastodon Grill inside the Holiday Inn, Purdue-Fort Wayne, right across from the Memorial Coliseum. Well, big thanks to our guests that appeared on the show today. Hour number one, Justin Cohn from the Journal-Gazette. Hour number two, we heard from James Boyd from The Athletic and James O'Connor talking all things NIL. We'll be back for a hump day edition coming up tomorrow. Join us then four to six for your daily local sports fix. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.